The United Methodist Podcast, episode 005, with Reverend Talbot Davis, author of the book, Saul. I hear from people, I cannot believe that you wrote me a handwritten note. In an, in an era of digital communication, where literally the art of handwriting is getting lost, when people can get a handwritten note from a, a pastor, especially if it's a pastor of a church that looks like it's pretty big, mm-hmm. that has impact and staying power. This is Stephen Adair, social media marketing strategist with United Methodist Communications on the United Methodist Podcast with Dr. Brad Miller. Welcome to the United Methodist Podcast with Dr. Brad Miller. Brad believes that a strong connection in the United Methodist Church is essential to achieving the mission of making disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. The United Methodist Podcast will help you and your church connect with key insights, hear inspiring stories, and learn from successful pastors and leaders making a difference in the United Methodist Church. And now, here's Brad. Hello again, good people, and welcome to this edition number five of the United Methodist Podcast. My name is Dr. Brad Miller, and the mission of this podcast is to strengthen the connection in the United Methodist Church in order to reach our overall mission of making disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. And we do that by talking to innovative people in the United Methodist Church around the world and people who've made an impact and a difference in their local churches or by their writing or by their leadership or some mission project that they're involved with that advances the kingdom and strengthens the connection. And today we've got a got an author with us who's put out a great uh, new book that can be used as a resource in your Sunday school classes or in small group settings. It's the book is called Solve, and it's a resource put together from a sermon series by Reverend Talbot Davis, who is the pastor of the Good Shepherd United Methodist Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. He's been the pastor there since 1999. The church has grown to over 2,000 in attendance and is quite a diverse church with uh, over 40 countries represented in the congregation of every ethnic and uh, background uh, imaginable and various uh, people groups from around the world, as well as language groups and so on. Remarkable diversity. And he talks a little bit about that in our conversation, as well as his unique perspective on how he came to Christ in the first place and came into uh, and came into the church believe it or not, through the sport of tennis. He'll talk a little bit about that. He talks about his church and how they have a single focus that has led him to their growth, but they have some specific strategies that they align with that focus, which helps them to move forward and to grow their church into some some really uh, uh, powerful impact in their community. And we'll talk a little bit about what he means by powerful impact by uh, something called the Food Network Sunday. We've got lots of things to talk about, and we're going to get into that in just a moment. But I did want you to know that this podcast, the United Methodist Podcast, is brought to you and sponsored by the book Meet the Good People. 
by Reverend Dr. Roger Ross. This book is about the seven ways that Wesley taught us to share our faith. So it has a historical component, but it certainly is applicable to our day and age right now. And Roger has grown his own church, a couple of churches, dramatically in his career, including as a, as a church planter. Let me give you one quote from the book. He says, to connect with significant numbers of non-church people, we must tune into the heart of their culture. Some good stuff there. So you can connect up to that book at our website, the United Methodist Podcast.com or on Amazon, of course. This podcast also is sponsoring of and is helpful to Mission Guatemala a mission project of the United Methodist Church serving the desperately for poor folks in rural Guatemala under the leadership of Reverend Tom Heaton. Lots of great things going on at Mission Guatemala. There is a, a, a ministry to people with agricultural needs, to people with uh, housing, to people with uh, such things as developing uh, Stoves in their homes, also dental and mental uh, medical services, as well as uh, feeding stations for children and education for especially preschoolers. Lots of things going on there. Check it out, missionguatemala.com. Our focus today is about dealing with hard passages of the Bible, which Reverend Talbot Davis does in several resources that he has. And his most recent one is called Solve, where he talks about problematic people and solutionists. We're going to focus in on what he means by those phrases as we get into our interview with Dr. Talbot, with Reverend Dr. Talbot Davis from the Good Shepherd United Methodist Church in Charlotte, North Carolina, right now. Hello again, good people, and welcome to the podcast. And our guest today is uh, Reverend Talbot Davis. He's a pastor in Charlotte, North Carolina. And I want to ask him just to share with us a little bit about um, about his call to minister, call to Christ in the first place, your call to ministry, and kind of where that led you to be where you're at now. So welcome to the podcast, Talbot. Well, thank you, Brad. Uh, yeah, I was not uh, raised to go to church or to believe in Christ. And sort of miraculously, when I was 17 or so, a friend shared his faith in a way that was compelling and convicting. And I went to bed one night as an atheist and woke up the next morning and became a Christian. Wow. So when the turnaround is that dramatic and and the the environment that I had been raised in was uh, sort of anti-church and anti-faith. There was never any point in being a halfway Christian as a teenager. You know, a lot of kids who grow up in church that go through the motions because it helps them out at home. Mm-hmm. Well, the, the that was not the way it worked with my faith. Being being involved did not win me brownie points at home. So, I, kind of from the beginning, I was all in for Jesus, and I knew the dramatic difference that He'd made in my life and in my eternity. And, then, and so that's how I be, that's how I became a Christian. And then somehow along the line, you you felt a call to uh, to ministry, which has led to you to where you're at now. Yeah, that, that call to ministry happened in college, so four or five years later. And then I said no to it, which was probably very wise. I uh, Instead of going directly from college to seminary, I said no to the call to ministry and got a, a regular job in actually in, in the tennis business, as it turned out. Okay, And that allowed me to mature and to grow and to volunteer in the church and 
by the time the call circled back around three years later or so, it was it, not only was I more mature, but I, I just knew enough about the working world and about the church world to make uh, kind of a wise decision about entering into ministry. How cool is that? So, and then tell us a little bit about your ministry setting right now and kind of what led you to land where you're at right now. Yeah, I'm serving. It's called Good Shepherd United Methodist in Charlotte, North Carolina, and I've been here since 1999. And it's one of these uh, sort of modern churches. We, this church never bought hymnals and never had robes. It's always had modern worship. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm the second pastor in its history. It started in 91. <coughs> yeah, well, we that's... have about uh, about 2,000 people on a given Sunday. And from 40 different countries, wow. most, of the, most of the countries in Africa and Latin America and, and a, a number of European countries as well. And it, it's still majority Anglo, but a pretty remarkable level of diversity. That is amazing in any community. But um, does that reflect your community where you have to be located at, the diversity? Or do you, do you track from afar from around the whole metropolitan area? A little bit of both. It, it, our section of Charlotte is – Charlotte is a diverse city, and our section is, has a lot of natural diversity in it as well. And we have just found out that by lifting up Jesus and not watering down the message, you draw all kinds of people unto him. Absolutely. And that's – yeah, that's really been our formula. Well, I would imagine it didn't really, I would guess, it didn't start that way. What do you think uh, was some of the strategies that you used? Obviously, you lifted up Jesus, but you, I bet you had some strategies in mind in order to be really incredibly open to diversity. Yeah, when, when I got here in 1999, it was 99% white. And we have a door-knocking ministry where we welcome newcomers to the area, and we give them a refrigerator magnet, some information about the church, and we pray over their house. This is before they've ever come to church. Sure. And and I began to notice that the people answering the doors didn't look like me. And so we, we did do some strategic initiatives to broaden our diversity. And those have worked, and that, that includes programming and staffing and graphic imagery. But ultimately, it's the work of the Holy Spirit. Sure, sure. Well, that's great. And that's, you know, really somewhat unique in our denomination and among all, well, church, and the, all churches. And that's, that's a great yeah, attribute. The, the funny thing denominationally is that we have, as a denomination, we make all these pronouncements about diversity and we have diverse delegations to large conferences. And then everybody, after patting themselves on the back for what a diverse denomination we have, they leave the conference and they go back to their single race congregations. And I would call that pretend diversity. And that's something we're not interested in at Good Shepherd. And we're pretty happy to do the real thing. Absolutely. Well, of course, it's been said, and you've, I'm sure you've heard the phrase, that one of the most segregated hours of the week is 11 o'clock on uh, Sunday mornings or whenever your Sunday and morning our, worship is. Our, our goal is to turn that line into a lie. There you go. There you go. Sound like it's been something you've been working on. That's great. Yep. Well, in this process, Talbot, you've also, um, you're also an author. You've also uh, authored and come up with a series of um of Bible studies and resources that you've put together. Uh, tell us a little bit about 
the uh, the theme. You seem like you have a theme overriding the resources that you've been working on. Tell us a little bit about your resources that you have. Sure, there there are four books that Abingdon Press has come out with. The uh, Head Scratchers was the first one, and then The Shadow of a Doubt, <laughs> and The Storm Before the Calm. And then this last one was called Saul that was just released in May of 16. And the interesting thing is that they are, they are all sermon series that okay. I preach at Good Shepherd. And the Abington folks take the, the sermon notes and manuscripts because I write up the manuscript when I preach, though I deliver the sermon without any notes. And what Abingdon does is they take those manuscripts that I prepared, and then they they also watch the online video of the sermon. And working through those two sets of material, they they put together the best the best of both worlds, and have turned all those series into chapter books and Bible studies that are to be used for small groups and Sunday school classes. Are those are they? Are these uh, ser- are these Bible studies and resources used in your church, for instance? <laughs> A little bit in our church. We have really tried to be very careful to not to promote the pastor stuff. Like we don't, and we don't, we, we don't tell our life group leaders they need to do my material. So we've really tried to walk that fine line. You have a theme here that I noticed. Um about your resources, Tabitha it says, do not be afraid to enter into dark places. Ah. Unpack that for me a little bit. What do you mean by that? Yes, the, the, uh, for example, on head scratchers, those are the hard sayings of Jesus. The, the ones that you, you read what he said, and it just makes you scratch your head. What did he mean? Why did he tell us to hate our mother and father? And why did he tell us to let the dead bury their own dead? So that's one dark place not to be scared of. And then yeah. the the book on the, the storm before the calm, don't be afraid to enter into those areas of turmoil because the the – the real understanding is that the turmoil is to prepare us for the peace that follows. And, and that was a, a twist on the common phrase in our culture, the storm, the calm before the storm, which is really such a defeatist mentality. It, it, that's a way of thinking, well, if you're in calm now, enjoy it while it's last because the storm is coming and it's inevitable. And I sure. thought, well, what, what a ridiculous way to go through life. Why not instead look at it the res- as the reverse that there is the storm that's there to prepare us for the calm. And See, then the, the book, The Shadow of a Doubt, don't be scared of the dark place of doubt. And what would happen if we took our doubts and we lifted them up to the light and regarded them not as enemy but as friend? Seems like you've taken a couple of concepts here that are uh, outside the comfort zone for many pastors and many leaders. You're dealing with some texts which are difficult to deal with. And you're also taking a, a view of, of uh, looking at the positive side, regardless of the circumstances. And that's a, that's a good thing. And I think it's also showing a bit of a risk-taking on your part. And, but yeah, I, heard- I, love pre- I love preaching on the, those books that people don't like to preach on, like right now. At Good Shepherd, I'm doing a series on the book of Judges, and it's called Crash Test Dummies. Okay. 
because what do crash test dummies do? They keep doing the same dumb thing over and over and over again. They keep driving straight into that wall. And if you read the book of Judges, that's what the children of Israel did. The same dumb thing time after time after time. It was a real cyclical thing in the Old Testament, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. And for a, a, a couple of days while I was working on that series, I thought, well, goodness, I'm the crash test dummy for thinking that I can make anything come out of the book of Judges. But all of a sudden, it all came together, and I think it's going to be a very good series. Well, it's a catchy name. I like that. And then uh, I'm sure uh, your titles you've used here are all very uh, – they can't get your attention, and that that's a good thing and, as well. So, good. Hey, tell us about your latest work called Solve. In particular, I'm interested in Solve, where you care you have these groups of people that you talk about in the book – the problematics and the solutionist. Tell us, yes. what, tell us what, how that how that works. That sermon series was originally called At Good Shepherd. It was called Solutionists. And Abingdon felt like Solutionist was a great title for a sermon series, not as good for a book, so they renamed it Solve. Though when you open up the pages of the book, the, the idea of being a solutionist is all over it. And, and it's easy to... to uh, point out problems, anybody can do that. But to pinpoint solutions, that takes a person of character and a vision. And Nehemiah in the Old Testament, talk about preaching on a book that people like to avoid. Yeah, so Nehemiah I was is going to ask you about that, ultimate, yeah. Yeah, he's kind of the ultimate solutionist, that he came back to Jerusalem after the exile and, and saw that the city was a wreck, and people had stopped noticing what a disaster it was. And instead of wringing his hands, he got to work. And instead of pointing out all the problems, he pinpointed the solutions and made them happen. Well, see, like you <clears throat> – with Nehemiah, you point out his bias towards action, and that's one of the aspects you're lifting up as being a solutionist is taking action and having a strategy towards solving issues instead of just wallowing in your own misery. Yes. And and one of the best things about the Solutionist series and and that which – this is really how churches can use it, uh, can use the Solve book, is it, it's one of those ways that a, a sermon series – becomes more than a series of sermons. Mm -hmm. And for us at Good Shepherd, one of the the dilemmas that Nehemiah solves is a famine in Jerusalem. It's kind of one of the overlooked stories in his book. But there's a famine, and he gets to action, and he mobilizes people to solve that famine. And so what we did at Good Shepherd uh, on a Sunday called Food Network Solutionists we talked about local hunger in Charlotte, North Carolina, and we challenged people to move on that which they had been moved by. And to the next week, we, and we ended that Sunday by passing out empty grocery bags, and we invited people to bring them back full the next week. <clears throat> and the great thing was is that we set a record that next week for the most pounds of food that any congregation in Charlotte had ever collected. Well, how cool was that? Yeah, wow. yeah. So the sermon series 
for just a series of sermons. And of course, that also puts a, a tactile and visual uh, impact for your congregation. Of course, makes a you know life changing impact on the people that you served. And that's a yes. I'm a big believer in that and how you need to put uh, you know visual and tactile and you know real real life circumstances on these problems. Not just preach about it. Let's do something about it. So yes, that, yeah. and that's why I think the book can be so helpful. Uh, like as a church wide study in the fall mm-hmm. and a great way for churches to mobilize themselves to to make an impact and to connect the Sunday morning teaching with the Monday through Saturday concrete action as a follow-up. And something like Food Network Solution is something that any congregation can do. You don't have to be yes. sending mission teams to South America or whatever. You can be doing something in your own in your own community, because every community has a food bank or a, a clothes closet or something like that. Yes, that they, that they can do. So that's that's great, and that that that's a good thing. One of the things, Talbert, that we talk about in our United Methodist denomination is our mission statement, which is making disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. I believe that kind of starts with individuals and kind of goes on from there. But I'd like to tell me a a transformation story, either about your congregation or about perhaps um, someone who may have been touched by, by by your books here. I'd like to hear a transformation story. You know, and this is not necessarily related to the books. That's okay. Uh, but what I'm thinking of the guy who came into our church, and he had been discovered, kind of outed uh, by being connected to porn. And we were able to get him the right kind of therapy and get him in the right kind of recovery groups and get him in the right kind of sobriety. And the end result is that his marriage was restored and his life was rescued. And now he has what we call it, Good Shepherd, a living relationship with Jesus Christ. Our our big local mission is inviting all people into a living relationship with Jesus Christ. And I, I just love it when that happens, when people get into dilemmas of their own making and 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 isn't it true brad that usually we don't need the devil to help us get into problems we, we're good at getting there all by them ourselves absolutely yeah we, and, uh, and we, yet we do a good a, job of that yes very good and when you have a, a strategy and a system for helping people get out of the messes that they make and they see the the blessings of sobriety and the blessings of serenity and the what happens with holy living and they love it and, and so the euphoria of living for Jesus so replaces the euphoria of, 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 in this case, this guy's case of porn, or for other people, it's drugs and alcohol. That is so rewarding. And I love seeing those people Sunday after Sunday after Sunday with their their homes and marriages intact when the, the odds were a couple of years ago, these folks aren't going to make it. Well, of course, life change is what this is all about. And when we say transformation, we'll really talk about life change individually, but how that can be a part of transforming a local church and hopefully a community and even a denomination. Yes. You must have learned some lessons in in your church. And you've been there since 1999, which is a very long tenure. You've had you've, your church has grown to 2000 plus. Um, you have a very diverse congregation. You have obviously a mission-minded congregation. 
You know, we live in a world where our church has some challenges, of course, as a denomination. But we still say that we're after life or transformation to make disciples of Jesus Christ to transform the world. What are some lessons learned from your experiences in your church that you think may be applicable to other pastors or other churches or other groups who may be really motivated to do this, but are kind of stuck? Kind of what, what do I do next? Yeah, I think of two things in particular, Brad. The the first one is that we have really lived out and been blessed by this singular focus on lifting up Jesus as high as possible. That we we at our church we don't teach that he's one of many, but he's the one and only. Mm-hmm. And and he's he's not a light of the world, he's the light. Of the world, and and when you don't water down even difficult truths, I mean, we we found a way to communicate hard truths in soft ways, which is very very different than redefining hard truths into soft truths. Mm, yeah. Oh, well, well said. Yeah. Okay. And so th- that would be the first, and, and then the second lesson that I've learned, and this is kind of unrelated to number one, but I think we're pretty good at it, is really focus on doing the small things well. For example, we knock on a lot of doors and we write a lot of handwritten notes. I've been writing handwritten notes to first-time guests (laughs) for 25 years. And every week I hear from people, I cannot believe that you wrote me a handwritten note in an, mm-hmm. in an era of digital communication where literally the art of handwriting is getting lost. When people can get a handwritten note from a, a pastor, especially if it's a pastor of a church that looks like it's pretty big, mm-hmm. that has impact and staying power. So yeah. those those kind of small things – that you wouldn't necessarily expect from a large congregation have have really been our secret to continual advancement. I do the details well, and it will pay off into the uh, the larger impact, and that's good. I do yes. the, I do the handwritten notes as well, and I get those comments uh, quite often from people like, "Where did that come from?" And occasionally, yeah. it's occasionally it's I can't read your writing, which is also a problem, but you know, but it is there. So, yes, I mean, yeah, bless well, you for that. <laughs> well, tell me. Uh, a little bit more about what's next for you. Are there more books in the in the in uh, coming? Uh, more sermon series, or and what's next for your church? What kind of impact do you make moving forward? Well, we did just uh, on Easter Sunday. We opened our very first site, uh, other than our original site on what we call Moss Road. There was a United Methodist Church that had. Uh, for lack of a better word, it had gone under. Mm-hmm. And so it was given to us to bring it back over. And and so we opened that site. It's called the Good Shepherd Zor Road Campus. And so shoring that place up is really job one for us. And we're, we're very happy with its progress. And there's there's always more we can do. I think that's an important thing. I have a history as a church planner myself, and I know there's all kinds of different models of doing that. And one of those is basically <laughs> taking over or revise, revitalizing a, a dead church, basically. And uh, yes, and, and this was it was not designed to make it a better version of the church that had died. It's a it's a replication of the Good Shepherd DNA on Zor Road. Well, that's what I was going to ask you. It's it's about DNA, and it's about having a DNA of multiplication and and extending yourself and. Uh, sound like that's what you're doing and that's that's great because uh, you know if we if we want to extend the kingdom if our transformation as a church uh is to grow beyond 
individual pockets of a good shepherd church, which has a great success story. But down the road, you have another church that's struggling. Uh, then we're not really extending ourselves to the kingdom to the truest extent that we can. We've got to do better. And we've got to find strategies and different ways of doing that and sound like you found one. Do you think there'll be yeah, more? And we, and we suspect that, that the Zor, the former Zor United Methodist, is probably not the last church in the greater Charlotte area, the, the last United Methodist church in greater Charlotte to struggle. And so we may do this again. We, we don't know. We're, 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 we uh, are trying to do this one, like I said, do the small things well, do this one as well as possible and see what opportunities God provides us Excellent. next. Excellent. Well, we'll see where that where God takes you on that one. You're, at least you'll be doing the, the hard work of that initial one, which may lead you to the next uh, the next opportunity down the road. Yes. Yes. And wonderful. Well, hey, Tom, just a, one or two other things here. What's something about... Uh, so something about you that you are about, meaning something that you like to do or that's something fun about you or an interesting fact. You mentioned, for instance, that you had a background in tennis. But tell us something about you. Yeah, well, I uh, in high school, I did. I was the two time Texas state champion right. in tennis and uh, I don't play anymore, but I follow it. And I that's where the bulk of my lifelong friends come from is that whole world. And and uh so that's usually the the most. Well, believe it or not, that's people. kind of that's kind of close to my heart. In that, my I have an uncle who's a Hall of Fame tennis coach here in our here in the state where I'm at. So I, ah. follow, I follow that uh, a bit. So way to go! Yeah, thanks. Well, any good any word of advice that you might have for a pastor or a leader out there who wants to make this, who wants to move their church from a point of stagnancy or perhaps even decline to uh, being, as you said, a, a church that has its incredible focus on the living Christ, where do you start? What do you do? What are some words of advice you might give to that person? And, well, of course, the temptation is to say, buy the book, solve, and do it as a church-wide <laughs> study, and you'll turn your church into church solutionists. Okay. Uh, but I would give this continual reminder that the gospel works, that people really are desperate in their sin, and Jesus really is gracious in his provision. And the simple retelling of that story never gets old. We've discovered the last few years, because we went through a stage, Brad, of, of trying to be clever for clever's sake. Mm, okay. And we, we have realized in the last few years that when you simplify the message, you magnify the impact. And not that the message is simplistic. But that you, we're not—we're no longer clever for clever's sake. We, we harness our energy to try and be bold and emphatic, and I, I believe that people have responded and responded well. That I, you trust the simple power of the gospel. I hope you caught that there at the end of our interview. That good news works. Reverend Day of uh, Reverend Robert Davis really spoke to us about how that's such an important process there. Lots of interesting things in our conversation there about dealing with hard passages of the Bible and taking a different twist on it, a different take on it, and how 
we can also approach things uh, not from a dark side or a defeatist side, but be uh, problem solvers, be solutionists. I like that type of thing. And then a couple practical aspects. Really like the thing about writing uh, personal notes to folks and how the single focus of the living Jesus Christ is so important to growing your church, having a singular focus, but using some really pragmatic uh, tools and approaches, such as simply writing handwritten notes and going door to door. Some things that may seem from a different era, but they work. They work. So we learned some good things from uh, Topper Davis and the folks at Good Shepherd United Methodist Church today, and we'll get you connected to that church and some of these resources in our show notes, which you can check out at the United Methodist Podcast.com. And you can also go to our Facebook, uh, our Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash United Methodist Podcast. That's where you can get connected in our community and expand the good word. We do appreciate it if you do put the word out there about the United Methodist Podcast. The best way you can do that is by going to iTunes and subscribing to the podcast there and to rate it and put a review. Rate it five stars if you feel so inclined and write a one or two line review. That helps other people find the podcast. And of course, spread the good news through your own Facebook pages and so on. That helps uh, get the word out and is certainly appreciated. We did want you to know that today's podcast was sponsored by Meet the Good People, the book by Reverend Dr. Roger Ross from the First United Methodist Church in Champaign, Illinois. It's all about Wesley's seven ways to share your faith. It is a great resource to use for a preaching series or perhaps a small group study. And our podcast also is affiliated with and helps to support Mission Guatemala, a mission project in uh, the rural area of Guatemala under the direction of Reverend Tom Heaton. And they want, among the many things they do is they sponsor a lot of work team missions to go there. It's a great experience to go to a third world country and experience mission. Great accommodations, great opportunity there. Check it out at missionguatemala.com or go to our website, unitedmethodistpodcast.com. Well, this is Dr. Brad Miller reminding you, that the mission and focus of the United Methodist Podcast is to strengthen the connection in the United Methodist Church for the purpose of making disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. If you can help us do that by giving us suggestions or or references of great stories to tell from around the world, uh, let us know. You can contact us through our website. We're all about doing a good thing for the for the greater good of the United Methodist Church as we reach out into our world. We're followers of Jesus Christ, and we also follow the teachings of John Wesley, who said these words, which I leave you with today, do all the good you can, by all the means you can, and all the places you can, at all the times you can, and all the ways you can, to all the people you can, as long as ever you can. That's it for now, good people. We'll see you next time on the United Methodist Podcast. Thank you for listening to the United Methodist Podcast with Dr. Brad Miller. We challenge you to be an active listener by subscribing and becoming a vital member of the United Methodist Podcast community. Visit us on the web at unitedmethodistpodcast.com and connect with other members at facebook.com slash Podcast. Until next time, continue to make disciples and transform the world.